So welcome to episode 13 of the White Shark Interest Group podcast. We've been away for a while. We've not been uh, putting these out as regularly as we wanted to. We were looking at trying to do these sort of once every couple of weeks, but many things happened, mainly this whole worldwide pandemic thing. We've had all our admin team, we've got various, you know, family issues and work issues and things get in the way. And then generally the shark world's been very, very quiet because no one's traveling out to see sharks, which is why today I'm happy to say we've got Rob Lawrence back on the show. Uh, Rob, you remember we did a podcast a while ago and the episode we did with Robbie, it was by far our most listened to podcast. I think it's clear, you know, around the world with all the countries that have downloaded that podcast and listened to it, that Rob is a, a listened to man and people want to know what it is you got to say. So we thought we'd do a catch up and check in on the whole False Bay and the whole what's happened during lockdown and so on. So uh, welcome back, Rob. Well, nice to be back, Connor. Thank you. I'm really curious, just generally as a bit of a catch-up, Robert, to what, what's the state of play out there in, in South Africa at the minute? Because last time we spoke, uh, obviously people were in lockdown and there was rumours of some shark sightings and great whites. And then recently these stories of the orcas seem to suddenly pop back in the news again. What, what's the state of play out there? What's happening at the moment out there? In sort of in the tourist game, in our sort of going out to sea and seeing things, well, we're allowed to go to sea now, but we're very much... Due to lack of tourists and people are traveling to go to sea, we're pretty much still in a sort of lockdown scenario. So on that side of things, it's very dead. So the few times we have been, and we've literally been on a, on a handful of occasions out to sea this year, I think it's on four or five, it's the least amount we've been out in, geez, as long as we've operated. But yeah, very sporadic sightings. As I say, a few reported sightings, not at the island from us, but a couple of sightings of white sharks early in the year. And then the few times we have been in the last few months, we ha- we haven't had any luck in finding any. A few cow sharks have been seen, the odd bronze whaler, but that's that's been about it, unfortunately. Yeah, I heard uh, there was somebody posted around that, I think, was it in Colt Bay? Someone had, had said that there was a white shark somewhere near the harbour in Colt Bay, and everyone went crazy to try and find out some details. And I never heard anything more of that. Was that, was that found out whether that was true? True or not? Yes, that was a actually spoke to it was a chap who used to work on one of the shark boats as a spear fisherman. He gave me a call. He said he saw um, a white shark when he was spear fishing off the off the coastline. Came up, made one or two turns around him. So that was the one confirmed sighting. And then there was a, a several sharks in early March. There were like two or three seen off off the inside of the island. So they've sort of two that I know of. There've been sort of two confirmed sightings this year. So, but still very sporadic. But we did miss the bulk sort of that May, June, July period, which traditionally would have been our peak season at Seal Island. No one really went venturing to the island because we were in a in a hard lockdown. So there could have been something we don't know. Going on the last season or two, it probably would have been fairly slim. But the signs this year were better than the signs last year, so no one really knows. Yeah, we we try to get to see as much as we can now, but it's it's very difficult at the moment. We talked last time about many many factors that might have led to the sort of dwindling numbers or dwindling sightings, and I think that's why the episode we did with you was so popular. People were when you were talking about other things like water quality and and so on, and the numbers before. Can I just come back to this orca issue? It seems to keep coming back, and I don't know whether it's just for media attention or not, but. A couple of weeks ago, maybe two, three weeks ago, it started popping up on all the news sources again. And I use the word news loosely because they seem to be just saying exactly what everybody said before. It's these two orcas, it's port and starboard, they're in the area again, they're attacking sharks. I mean, has, you, has your view sort of changed on that? Do you think that's still a factor at all? No, look, as I said all along, I think they've, they've played a part in it, but I don't think you can accredit an entire localised collapse in a species possibly to two orchids. 
because then it comes into the sphere of, oh, well, how do the sharks know it's port and star? But if they say it's those only two, because we've had other orcas in the period in the past. Not at all am I saying they haven't played a part in it, but it's not possible in my, my view from thing for them to cause an absolute localized collapse extinction in false bay and false spine in the space of two or so years. We've had a steady decline of our sightings of sharks from 2012, obviously, but nothing like obviously 2019 where we had no sightings. I think, as I said before, there's a, there's a multitude of factors from food sources to water clarity to a multitude of things. But I think the orcas, because that's the only bit of data on hand that's really available, saying, well, when the orcas arrive, the white sharks disappear, therefore, that must be the reason. Yeah. If the data bears it out, so be it. But if you're only looking at that particular set of data, then that might be it. Because I think there's so many other factors involved that you can't actually attribute to, to data. And if from a scientific point of view, they understand they need numbers and facts and figures. Yep. But there are otherwise things that will have a bearing on it that, that you can't collaborate or just suddenly pr- produce. So Yes, they do play a factor in it, but I've always, as I said personally, I don't believe they could cause the entire several hundred sharks we were seeing in a season just vanished indefinitely for 18 months, 19 months, yeah. 24 months, yeah. whatever the case might be. We did put the, the word out and asked if anybody had got questions for you. Um, and we've had we've had quite a few of those come in, so I was going to just throw a few of these out here and appreciate that you know if you if it's not your area, then then just say so. But obviously, people look to you for you know sort of some commentary. One of the questions that we had come in was, does anybody know what the frequency of these two orcas, the port and starboard, visiting sort of those waters like False Bay in that area? Is there any kind of patterns and routines that have been discovered, or any frequency numbers that you know of? So the latest numbers. That we've seen, they say, I think it's upwards of around about 40 sightings of port and starboard. Now, most of those have been tabulated through the local whale watching guy, Dave Hurwitz. Yeah. And fishermen like my, and fishermen and guys like myself, because there's an interest in, in the orchids. So every time the orchids are seen, someone will probably, by the bar, there'll be three or four boats that have gone through. So the main numbers seem to have been around, I stand under correction, but the, at last count, I think it was like 42 two sightings of port and starboard since since they were first seen in the bay. And uh, have you seen them yourself while you've been out? Yes, no, no, we've seen them on, on a few occasions. Eh? So we've seen, I've seen them once, twice at the island where they were hunting, where they seemed to be hunting the cow sharks. That was last year. That's when we physically seen them. I wasn't on the boat. My guys called me, said, look, they're here. They did a lap around the island and they, they seemed to eat a few cow sharks. We've never seen them hunting or interacting with any white sharks. Not that it hasn't happened, but from personalized sightings, both myself and the other shark boats, no one's no one's seen that in false bay at all, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. The theory behind that is said that, well, they obviously not everybody's at sea all the time. So when they're there, if they've killed a white shark, the carcasses have sunk and they haven't washed on shore, which is feasible, I suppose. But we haven't, no one's physically seen, the, seen them hunting. The reason I think false bay has got such a higher sighting rate than a lot of the other areas up and down our coastline is because there's a lot more water users. Yeah. Especially close in shore where these guys work out of Simonstown is several boats out every day barring a gal like we've got today. At any given time, you'll have 10 or 15 fishing boats, a whale watching boat, one or two shark boats, paddle boarders, surf skiers, surfers. And the people that are along the False Bay coastline from sort of Musenberg to Miller's Point are very in tune with what happens with the coast. So there's a lot more eyes watching than yeah. further up the coast where there's vast stretches of uninhabited land where the orcas are probably cruising around doing their thing because they've been seen all the way up into Namibia 
and up the East Coast. So they, they seem to cover a vast, vast area. The word that goes out when there is a sighting is is crazy because I'm sure you get it, but like Math Bone lights up, you know, everybody and anybody who you've ever met regarding sharks or South Africa is suddenly pinging messages around that this has happened, this has happened, exactly where it is and who it was and who saw it. And, you know, it goes crazy. So if we ever have, um, you know, some kind of worldwide emergency other than this pandemic, I think I'm just going to stick with shark people because they <laughs> seem to spread the word around the world in about 10 seconds. It's crazy. But one of the things, am I right in thinking that although Port and Starboard have been seen in False Bay several times, the, the washed up shark carcasses, the white sharks, with the with the liver torn out, which I want to get to in a, in a minute, am I right in thinking that that hasn't been observed on the False Bay coast? Hundred percent correct. The only ones that have washed up have been in the in the Hansby area. So Hansby, El Kral's Mont, they've got a stretch of beach up and down there, but basically close in and around where the sharks operate in these traditional summertime beach areas, they've seen the the white sharks wash up there. So this makes me. This makes me as a armchair shark enthusiast. Um, that makes me ask questions because if if everyone keeps saying, "Oh, Port and Starboard, yeah," and they're ripping livers out, and I think there was like seven seven carcasses back in the day when it was when it was happening a lot. If none of those have been found on False Bay coast, then that to me has to shed some doubt on on the level of activity that may have gone on there. Because I would have expected, you know, even one surely to have washed up on False Bay sort of coastline. Yeah, you would have thought so, but it's it's um, look the lay of the land is different, and you obviously have different currents and wind directions and that that might affect movements of things, and they might sink. But you would have thought between the operators and people at sea, and if they have caused such a decimation of the population. Look, the bottom line is the sharks are gone. Whether it's orcas or not, it's debate. Yeah. If it was purely the orcas, there would have been some sort of evidence to a point. But as I said, I think personally they do play a part, but it will be like if you look at the guys in the Farallons that have been sort of tracking them, they seem to have had a short-term effect that they would come, they'll disappear. But for them to have disappeared consistently like this, yeah. but then they say, okay, well, maybe consistently coming in the bay it's it's hard to say but I, I personally don't think that it's them yeah when you talked a minute ago about obviously some of your guys on the boat had, had maybe seen seen them in in what was maybe like hunting behavior on on say cow sharks what so what does it look like how do you know the orcas are in any kind of like hunting mode what's what do they do what's the what's the behavior they just forage like when that island they were the day we were out we witnessed them they were the guys got there, anchored up, and then, um, yeah, they saw Port Starboard, and they've got very distinctive dorsal fins. If anybody's seen the photos and that, yeah. they're very, very hard to, mis- to misplace. And they generally always seem to be cruising around together. So they just work their way around in the island, in the shallows, constantly around the island, and they stayed there for several hours. And then we saw some carcasses drift to the surface of cow sharks. Yeah. Then we had about several several weeks with no activity, and then, bang, the cow sharks came back. That, to me, would sort of be the pattern if it was purely for them or the white sharks, that if the white sharks came, they got fed, they'll disappear for a while. But once the orcas have moved up the coast, several thousand k's, they will come in because that's a concentrated food source at the island, particularly through the winter months. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Look, we that's the other thing. We've always had two seasons with, with the white sharks. So inshore and offshore season, like summer versus winter, generally the white sharks would be at Seal Island six to eight months of the year and the rest of the time they'll be inshore. That's where other factors come into play. Is it the fact that the long line of fisheries has killed the smooth-out sharks and the precipitant sharks, which is a very strongly pointed uh, punted theory as well. I think everything plays a factor. Sure. There's got to be a human factor involved. There's no ways there's going on several billion humans on the planet and we're not having an impact on the ocean and we can blame it on two 
naturally occurring predators. That's not the be-all and end-all. Something Dirk, Dirk Schmitz always said is the patterns of nature, and especially around false bears, happen for so long, for millions and millions of years. Yeah, that doesn't just stop without some other factor playing a part. You know, orcas have been there as long as as the white sharks have, I'm sure. Oh, no, for sure. As I say, that's the thing with Port and Starboard. We've had other orcas, and they say these two particular ones have taken a, a liking to white sharks or shark livers. But how do the sharks distinguish when they suddenly see an orca? Do they say, well, it's those two particular ones or they just run away from all orcas? Exactly. So it's it's sometimes maybe I'm just too simplistic in in the way I look at it and I'm not a scientist, but there's too many unanswered points that you can't open and close the book by saying it's orcas. That's – I can't I can't believe that twenty four seven. I think it's too too neat and tidy and it's too convenient and it's and I think it's an easy sell to the majority of people in the public, ninety percent of the public will accept that as fact because if they get told to them enough. Yeah. But then you'll have groups like your interest groups and these guys that have a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more interest, will realize it it's not as plain and simple as that. If things are disappearing and food chains are collapsing and things are happening, you've got to blame humans. Yeah. We are the ones that are to blame for probably 90% of the things that are happening anywhere at any given time. And I think one of, one of the most interesting elements you spoke about last time, I mean, there was the fishing thing, was the, was the water quality, um, you know, and local sources of, you know, people pumping stuff into the into the waters around there. That, to me, would have to surely be a major factor. But yeah, I'll take your point. It's a very, very good point. Nature's been doing this thing for millions and millions of years, and then we, we show up and our activities cause so much impact that you'd have to put that into the fact. That's got to be a factor, for sure. That's a really good point. Yeah, false, false bay, like... If you look at you speak to the whale watching guys, they they their sightings of southern white whales have been down tenfold in the last two seasons as well. Right. You go out of False Bay, you go a few miles offshore, you go around the corner up the coast, and they've got there's all sorts of life. So that's the fact. The thing is, to me, for people to start declaring it and having meetings, and for government to make a statement saying this is the reason for it, it's incorrect because it, it, there's not a definitive answer. Yeah. And if it's not a definitive answer, you shouldn't be publicising it and saying this is the reason the shots are gone. Let's move on. They all they they're finished in this area. Yeah. But maybe they don't want to realise. Maybe maybe they're too scared to say, look, it's a, it is a localised collapse, localised extinction. At the end of the day, as much as we like to know what we're talking about, we don't really know for certain. You can have an educated point of view, but that's sort of where it goes. But if there's scientific facts and figures and you're basing it off on if your sharks disappear and the orca sightings are picked up and that's the only set of data we've got to work off, then if that's the case, well, then that's the reason. Maybe this is why the orca articles keep getting copy-pasted and reposted, you know, months and months later, is because it is an easy, clean answer to put out there. Oh, orcas are killing white sharks. It's almost clickbait now that we get a new member joins the group and within 10 minutes, you know, they've posted this article. Oh, guys, have you seen this? Orcas are attacking white sharks in South Africa. And, and it's like, yeah, I think we've we've gone over this like so many times now. It's just a clickbait article that just keeps coming back and back and back. It's interesting to note that if you say that sightings of some of the whales are down as well, because that that's something I've not heard anybody dis- discuss before. When we were out with you last time years ago, and it is years ago now, did I ever tell you on the last day before we set off back to the UK, we actually went out on the whale spotting boat and we didn't spot any whales at all? <laughs> because there was no whales, he actually ended up taking us out to Seal Island to watch you guys look at white sharks. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> 
Like, yeah, I've been here for three weeks looking at white sharks. It's cool and all, but can I see some whales now, please? But I, I remember seeing like orcas. Like we were down at Cape Point, and you can see the orcas. You know, the small pods of them. But I don't know. It's never. It's, it's some. No one seems to like you say want to talk about all the other factors. And is it because is it just ignorance? Sort of put your head in the sand and ignore it. You know, is the politics at play? I think with a locally with. With the other factor that a lot of groups have been pushing is they're trying to shut down the, the longline shark fisheries, yeah. which needs to be shut down because it's a non-sustainable industry and it hasn't been, and it's a small industry. If you compare how many people the pelagic and demersal longline fisheries employ compared to what the shark industry does, not only the cage diving industry, the shark diving industry, the shark, there's multiples of, of marine activities involved around it. So one's a consumptive resource, the other one's a non-consumptive. So there's no long-term survival of a consumptive resource with a stock that they freely admit has collapsed. Then it comes down to South has got a, a massive unemployment problem. There's job shortages. We haven't got – it's a poor country and it's a rich country, depending which side of the street you're born in. So yep. there's definitely a lot of politics in, involved in South African things. And if you try shut down a one sector, then it becomes it becomes an issue. But, yeah, there's definitely politics involved. There's certain things that do need to be shut closed. And to me, it's if if the one industry is bringing in X amount of money and the other one's bringing in tenfold, and the one that's bringing in tenfold is is not killing or decimating anything, there's your your preference should be to going to the bigger industry. And COVID now is showing to us sometimes hard decisions need to be made, and for the preservation of of a species and a planet, they should be making those hard decisions. How how do guys like yourself working in ecotourism with shutdowns? How how do you guys manage you know lack of tourism and and you know never mind the lack of sharks, but just lack of tourism and and so on? How do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you work with that? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not easy, eh? It's um, you sort of take every day as it comes, and it's something that no one predicted and foresaw. Yeah, I wish I wish the least of our problems were were sporadic shark sightings. You look, we live in a very beautiful place, and there's lots of things to see and do and show people. But at the end of the day, you need you need people to do that. Mm. But it's yeah, it's very tough. Eh? There's there's it's it's been a very very tough 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 year for anybody involved in tourism, travel, that sort of industry, and in a country like South Africa, where we're very dependent on foreign investment and foreign tourists. It's been a devastating blow. Am I right in saying that obviously for yourselves? Um if anyone's interested in keeping that hope alive, that things get a little bit back to normal. I know there's talk of vaccines in various countries going around now and, you know, maybe sort of early next year, about the time when you'd normally start your season. Can people be can people be buying like spots with you now? Uh, can they be buying vouchers and, and you know, and, and gift vouchers or can they be booking trips subject to moving them later can people still support you that way for now yeah no we, we're taking bookings and that we're actually not taking deposits anymore just because it's too too up and messing around but we're still taking our taking bookings and yeah we've got to we've got to try be positive eh, and fight the good fight yeah it's not easy i know you know a lot of the members on the group certainly uh and you know myself and, and Rachel and so on. I've so much respect for what you guys do. Let's just not doom and gloom it. Let's hope early next year, you know, the COVID thing, sort of springtime next year, makes things a little bit easier. At least people could get out there and travel again because it is a stunning part of the world. It is a beautiful part of the world. We've got a few more questions that had come in. Sorry, some of them are still about orcas, no, no worries. Uh, <laughs> whales. But um, what, one question we had in, and, and this is a good one, is has anyone actually observed a shark? pulling a liver a whale pulling a liver from a shark and and 
just for the size of, the, of an orca and it and its mouth and its teeth, how would an orca be so specific about one small area of a white shark? And I know the necropsy photos and everything say that that's what's happened. But how, how do you see an orca and the size it is targeting specifically one part of a, of a white shark? I personally haven't seen it. There's a few video clips. There's one very interesting drone clip going around that I saw with a group of orcas Funny enough, eating a cow shark, someone shot it with a drone and there's three or four orcas and they're actually pushing this little cow shark around and it, or it looks like a cow shark. Yeah, they're very precise. Eh? So they've, look, they're a phenomenal predator, being a mammal and communitively hunting and coordinating their attacks. But there's no doubt they've eaten white sharks and killed white sharks and removed their liver. That, that's not in question. Mm. That's, that's not even up for debate. They are very capable and they're very uh, of doing that. And I personally haven't seen it. They're very precise in what they do. One of the questions uh, that came in from one of our members said, could the white sharks not gang up on the whales and hunt them off? Uh, it said like dolphins do. Now, just for listeners, I would point you to episode 12 of our podcast, which was with our admin, Drew, who talked about the some of the myths around the fact that dolphins chase off sharks. It's not entirely true. Uh, so give episode 12 a listen. But just from white shark behavior, have you ever seen them sort of collectively chasing a, a predator away or, or hunting in groups in any way? We had quite a unique setup is that we had multitudes, large volumes of white sharks in a small area hunting similar prey items. So what we used to observe, which we sort of decided was they might benefit from from another attack. So if basically if there's a seal coming back in the morning, Ricardo, the one shark, chases it, chases it, the seal gets away, and that seal's tired, that shark's lost interest, and as he moves along, I come along and grab it. So they, they might benefit from it, but I don't think they would have the capability of communicating and organizing an attack where three or four of them will go and chase Oprah away now. That, that won't happen. Yeah, I've seen obviously the very cautious creatures as well. So the idea of a few turning and making a, an attack on a predator that's actually you know twice their size is is also not likely going to happen. But somebody did ask us uh, one of the other questions was they've heard that great white sharks are very clever and can sense death of their own species and things happening in the area. And have you witnessed that? Have you seen that happening at all? The way they disappear when there's a threat in the area? Yeah, we've we've that's quite a old like you speak to a lot of the old fishermen who are shark fishermen and that they say you chase a shark away you cut one kill it drop it in the water and the, the first time we had a mass disappearance was when we had the when the search boat out in 2012 we had a multitude of sharks around the boat in the morning um, but yeah that's the first time literally where we I don't think it was in early May so it was fairly I stand, could have been May or June I think it was in May I don't remember exactly now but we had several sharks the day before like eight or nine or ten these guys came and hooked the shark, put on their platform, did their thing. Next day, we sat for hours, had one shark come past, and then we had – that's the first time we missed, like, in June for 15 or 18 years, whatever it was leading up to that time. So, yeah, And that that's where the orca story is true, where it's a case that if they're coming – but that's why I've always said it will be like a, a week or two week or three week, even a month period, where they might get spooked in the area, they might release some sort of – who knows what in the water, and they'll move off. But that's like the thing we've had with the with the with the gully sharks at the island, where we've physically seen with our own eyes orcas port starboard killing gully sharks, and in about a three week period later, two and a half weeks back, there's a whole new group coming through. So if it could happen with one particular species of shark, it shouldn't. There's no reason it shouldn't happen with another. So yeah, I think I I, I don't think there's any question about that it that it happens, does it? It's the the why and the how. 
I find fascinating that that it can do that. And do you think they actually leave the area, or do you think they just go deep and stay stay low and stay out of sight? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's like um, they might suddenly not just come up to boats because we've had sharks over the years that we see hunting in the morning that you can identify through dorsal fins and and things like that, and then you just never see them around your boat. Or they'll come past, they'll they'll fly by the boat, and you'll you just don't see them. So the behavior is very peculiar from shark to shark, but. An incident like that, if they if they've been hunted and attacked, like any sort of, they probably would leave the area. Yeah, it's a case of how far they would go and for how long and how long they run away because they they move great great distances, as as, as everybody knows. They go intercontinentally. I mean, they swim from here to Australia, so yeah, they they can cover vast areas. So it comes back. To, no one no one can say for certain. I defy anybody to give you a precise reason exactly what it is. I think everybody's series has got merit. And you can't dismiss any of them, but I think their formula uh, as a grouping is probably more. Everybody's little point is probably more valid than one in particular. One of the things you talked about last time was, as a potential, was maybe that the numbers in the first place before that were maybe miscalculated or misestimated. I mean, now another question that came in was was how many great whites do you think usually do reside in False Bay, and what's your experience on the numbers? You know, prior to say 2012. So we sort of peaked. I think it was like 2002, uh, 2004 onwards. We started getting up our really big numbers, but it's also was seasonal because we used to be able to set our clock at generally from second week into January, first week in Feb, you'd start seeing twos and threes and fours, you know, it'd steadily pick up. And then that June, July, August period would be crazy with the last two weeks of July, first two weeks of August being like, you it's close to guarantee. And you'd get that you'd see a multitude of predation events in the morning, upwards of 35, 40. And around the boat, you would get into the low teens of different individual white shots. So at its peak, during the peak winter months, you probably would have had maybe upwards of 40 different individuals, but there was a constant cycle of sharks coming through. So they would come through, some would stay around for two weeks at a time, hunt on several occasions. Others we would see once or twice, but then goes back to the earlier point at that peak hunting period, some of the sharks have no interest in the boat whatsoever. Yeah. And then guess, that goes back to the chumming story that you can chum, chum, left, right, and center, and you change your behavior. Absolutely not. Some sharks will come to you, some sharks won't. And they would move, and then usually beginning of September, early September, they'll get quieter. We'll start seeing them slowly but surely back off, and then literally within the first two, three days of October, boom, gone. Yeah, they would disappear, and then suddenly, when we would stop seeing them at the island, our shark spotting program along the coastline would see them increase because that would be a sort of their summertime feeding pattern, and that's where the theory of them killing their the subsequent sharks and the smooth islands come into play. That if if their summertime food source is not there, they would move. Sure. But then people would say, why would they not stay at the island? But even in the years when they worked on both sides, they would they would never feed at the island through. Like even now, traditionally, I wouldn't expect to see white sharks there. Sure. There's a known food source at the island year-round, but the sharks have never in our working history there spent 12 months of the year there. If you're out, you know, out in the morning and you're saying you're seeing like, you know, 35, 40 sort of predations happening and breaches in the distance and, you know, all this activity going on, you know, at peak times, do you think that's like 35, 40 sharks, different sharks, or is it the same sharks? You know, is there just, do you think there's just a handful sort of at any given time? It's probably a combination of both, eh? So <clears throat> that's why it's sometimes hard because the area is fairly spread out. So it's more a case of an individual because you'll you're identify sharks around the boat during the course of the day and you'll see, say, of the 10 you saw, let's call it, you'll see five or six of those 
every second or third day, but then every every other shark the following two days would be a different one that you wouldn't see again. It probably would be a combination of both, but you would probably still be comfortably having upwards of 30 different sharks in a four or five mile radius around the island. Right. Traditionally speaking, I'm not talking obviously recent sightings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're seeing like predations, because again, I mean, we we saw this to a limited degree, but I know in in other years where you've had a lot, if you've got a shark who's chasing a seal and and attempts a breach, and then the, you know, the sort of chase and the predation that happens after that, that's going to tire a shark out pretty quickly. So that's not likely they're going to be the same shark, swims, you know, swims half a mile out somewhere else in the bay and breaches again, I would have thought. Would they not expend their energy so that, you know, they're only going to attempt those breaches you know, on a limited basis. That's a, yeah, it's a valid point. But then again, they're, they're very opportunistic. At that particular time when they were in their big numbers, it is when the, the pups were, or the, the seals were going to see for the first time. So the opportunities were increased. We've had incidences where we've seen the same shark make several attempts, but some sharks are were way more effective hunters than others. There were certain guys that we've got to see over the years that were like, bang, first time hits, no chase, just kill. But um, yep. that would be the case. I think there, there, there were probably possibly even more than, than we knew, at, or there were less. But it's, it's never, it's, it's, oh, it sounds stupid, keep on contradicting myself, but it's a, it's, it's, there's never a set, set figure or a set number. Or, it was very hard to keep accurate data. You can only keep the data of what you see. The numbers are substantial. There's the thing. I don't think you're contradicting yourself. I think it just highlights the fact that it is such an unknown again. And while everyone, particularly on the internet, wants to be the expert – and the shark man who knows everything, we don't. We, there's no way of knowing those numbers, like you say. So was it 30, 40, 50 sharks at any one time during those peak years? Or or actually, could it have been 150 sharks? And, and who moves up and down the coast? And I think normally people then start throwing the argument out, well, we need to tag more. We need to do more tagging to understand. Would you subscribe to that? Do you think we need to study them even more? Yeah, well, it depends what, what the end goal is as well. So look, when I said 30 or 40, that would be like on one given particular day. Yeah. So you would have a cycle of sharks coming in. So you would be into the hundreds of different individuals that we would have been seen over a, a course of the year. Tagging and that, it, it, yeah, it's definitely got its place, but it's there's got to be some sort of, what is the goal of doing these things and why do you want to do it all the time? You can do it, but it gets to a point. And then as things change now, the data and the numbers and the laws that are set were set on numbers of white sharks from 10 years ago. Yeah. The entire platform and the theory and the hypothesis of those papers that are now considered scientific fact have changed. So they become irrelevant, saying that if you go to Seal Island and you use tuna instead of something else, you're going to get five more white sharks around your boat. That's totally irrelevant now because there are no more white sharks yep. at certain times of the year. There's a scope for it to be ongoing, but it's also got to be at, at to what end? To control permit numbers, to control fishery stocks, because then it goes back to the case that look at the long-lining fisheries guys, they say oh, no, the stock has collapsed, but they're still allowing them to catch how many hundreds of tons a year. So what's the point? If you had an ideal now that that something could could help you guys and help that industry and help the white sharks and help any of those shark species, what what would be a pie in the sky, you know, magic 
magic lamp rubbing wish that you could have that would change things in that area that's that's practical that can actually help guys like you and help the sharks and help the tourism and help the industry and help the environment in there what what's an ideal what would you like to see happen you need you'll need more marine protected areas eh? so i don't know the numbers but i think it's it's less than 30 percent of the world's or they, they, ideally you would want at least 30 to 40 percent of the world's ocean protected as marine protected areas, which won't happen because of the commercial driven aspect of, of it. But you would want areas that are no-go fishing areas, no boating areas. You sort of ideally would want massive reserves where there would be stringent controls who gets in and out of it. Yeah. You would, you would want to stop all shark fishing because from smooth hound to superfin sharks to blue sharks to makers, any sort of shark that's been targeted, that's been caught for the finning of the meat industry would needs to be stopped. It's absolutely not a viable industry. Australia's is regulated and controlled, but they're just buying from South Africa. We've got no control mechanisms. Yeah. We haven't got observer programs. The people that are observing the stuff coming off the boats probably can't identify one shark species to the next. That fisheries is it's a small it's a small fisheries that's causing all the damage. Several, I think there's two I think it's like six licenses, but I think there's only two active boats. Yeah. I'm not totally a favor with the exact thing, but it's it's a small industry. So they could cure that industry and shut it down and then reincorporate those guys into another more lucrative fisheries that that's less sustain that's less threatened right. is would be ideal. So that's pie in the sky stuff. That make big marine protected areas, increase the areas where there could be nursery grounds for not only sharks, fisheries, other fish species and that would be would be ideal. But that's got to go through legislation processes and all of that, and then the governments get involved, and you've got different stakeholders, and you've got big wealthy fishing companies, and that that have got more money than the average guy to fight it, and it yeah it becomes becomes political, and then you're on a losing wicket. Is the thing, and and I know we talked about this briefly before, you know, before we started here today. It's very easy, I think, for you know people like myself, and you know groups like ours, the White Shark Interest Group, and people who are you know maybe miles away, and we can sit here and put all our uh, opinions and what should happen and stop the fishing and, you know, and stop people going in the area. But we don't live in South Africa and we don't live with those political and financial issues. Very easy for us to sit here and say that that should happen. But what what do you do for the guy on the boat who's trying to earn some money to feed his family? And you're saying you got to stop this now because it's damaging sharks and it's damaging ecotourism and it's damaging tourism. How do you say that to the guy who's on the boat who needs to earn some money? No, know? sure. It's, that's why we've got a big problem with poaching in this country for for abalone and everything else. These guys have, the, the, yeah, it's, we, we're living in, in Africa, excuse me, and it's the case that there's, there's a shortage of money and a shortage of jobs. And sitting in Europe and in America, it's it's a total different ballgame. The reality on the ground is totally so far removed from anybody you've got to give and take at the time so you might have to leave certain things but it's got to be better control but you can't control it's, it's it's a very very difficult situation but the reality on the ground from from where people sit on the keyboard on the other side of the world is is so far removed they've got no concept of what they're talking about their hearts in the right place but they, they don't know what they do i mean you see it in the area there you can be you know sat in somewhere like simon's town having a nice cup of coffee and enjoying life and looking at the harbour and then you can drive 10 minutes out and and see the the settlement towns and see the poverty and it, and it hits you like a, a brick you know you're literally just driving out of one very sort of affluent area 
and, and seeing the poverty and thinking, how do these guys pay for food and, and keep jobs going? And, you know, we can comment on the crime and talk about other crimes with it. But at the end of the day, people can get desperate and, and it's a poverty issue. So I think seeing it on the ground, like you say, it does, it does kind of hit home a little bit. I'm sat in the here in the UK in a little village looking at nice fields. It's like, what the hell do I know about whether I should tell a fisherman to stop going out fishing. You know, I don't know his story. No, for sure. But that's why you can't you can't look at it in isolation. So in isolation, you say, okay, well, we stop everything and you do that and everything's going to come right. But it's then you just sweep the problem further down the road. So it has to be a more of a, a holistic approach somehow. And um, yeah, look, it's not an easy fix. Uh, it's going to take a lot of government intervention, a lot of a lot of help from certain things, but people need to be educated at the end of the day. And that's where, we, as I say, I think we, we sort of thought we played a, played a role where we could educate people that educating them on small things like saying that every good shark is dead shark, same as a snake and a scorpion and a spider and that sort of thing. So education is the, the, the growling and the key. But um, yeah, we, we, you can't give up. We have to sort of hang in there and do the best we can. If we do have any listeners who are uh, from South Africa, and I know we do have some, but we rarely, rarely hear from you. But by all means, in the comments below this podcast and, and on the group, please do let us know like your experiences out there. Um, I mean, anybody who knows who knows Rob and knows Rob's business knows that probably the most ethical business you can get out there because there's a flip side to that. I'm saying, well, you can't just tell the fishermen to stop fishing. You actually employ local guys. I mean, you know, they, if your boat's not going out, they're not going out. So you've got to pay those guys as well and keep those in jobs, aren't you? And keep the ecotourism going. Yeah, that's the problem we're sitting with now was basically the industry's collapsed. Not only a tourism industry I'm talking about. It's a, yeah. no, it's a huge problem. Eh? So yeah, we're hoping things get back to normal very soon eh? because um, if it carries on much longer, you're not going to have much of a tourism industry left here, unfortunately. It's kind of happening in a lot of places. I know it's like the, the film industry, which obviously I you know, dabble in all these uh, big studios now and not even talking about putting, putting the films out in the theatres anymore. Um, it's all streaming online, which means it's just going to completely change an entire industry over the course of the course of a year. You know, there's a lot a lot of industries that are struggling with that at the minute. Well, I would say any members who've got there, please, if you have an interest in sharks, and if you're on this group that you do, and you want to go out to South Africa and you want to see them, you you please, like Rob's saying there, they're not taking deposits, but they are taking bookings. Please have some faith that things will steer earlier next year or maybe steer right. That's what all the sort of evidence points to. Please make a booking, make an inquiry, start talking to, you know, to Rob. You can find uh, their website is at um, ultimate-animals.com or just search Rob Lauren Sharks and you're going to find it. Uh, but go to African Shark Eco Charters and please, you know, don't be afraid to at least make a booking and, and with intention of traveling. I desperately want to get out there again and bring the kids out. So I'm going to be hitting you up, Rob, for, uh, for something at some point next year hopefully hopefully it'll be good to see you it's been a while it has and the kids want to come out there because they're just obsessed at the minute with, with you know marine life and so on so again even if you know there's not a white shark to look at if you've got cow sharks you've got all the nature in the area you've got the whales you can see please you know i just encourage you support these industries if you're a shark advocate and you're a believer in ecotourism and you have any interest whatsoever about white sharks in south africa please go on go on I know this sounds like a promotion, but it's just from genuine, genuine love of what of what Rob and his company do and others in the area. Go and make those bookings and try and keep that industry alive and, you know, and support them wherever you can. Uh, Rob, a couple of other questions I just wanted to um, to pose to you. One of them is about that shift you were talking about there with in the winter months, you'd see them out at the island. And then uh, in the summer months, obviously, they'd move inshore. There was a point where you could pretty much set your watch by that. Can I just ask you a bit more about what drives that? Because 
course, if there is still a food source, why would they shift in and move to a different food source when there was when there's still plentiful food out there, sort of in the bay and in and around Seal Island? Yeah, that's always been a funny thing because time of the year where, like, if you go to the island today, being sort of early December, you're going to get all the pups that have been born in the last week or two, and they're literally bobbing around, floating on the surface, literally there waiting to be plucked and the seal behavior is like you could almost walk on seals there's so many away from the island yeah even in times gone by we were we were at the peak of our white shark activity they would just move off and no one's there's been also a multitude of theories some people say well the big bull seals would come in and they would form groups and drive them offshore other people said no possibly it's the time of the year where the white sharks might go and mate or it could be just they needed a change in diet because they're eating seals as as game there's no real set it's like i'm reluctant to say this is a particular thing but yeah there was a clear set pattern where not only yeah also in in conspire and in mussel bay all the other shark spots up and down the coast there was a, a clear set pattern that the sharks would congregate around the seal colonies feeding on seals during the course of our winter months in the summer months they'll move inshore up and down then either feed on bony fish or smooth on shark species or rays yeah and that seemed to be it but the main reason why they would leave it, it's never made sense but some people speculate that the big bull seals might mob them and chase them away and it's too too crazy because the bull seals aren't there year round that could be one of the theories but it's right it's not really it's, it's it's one of those things that's hard to say exactly what the reason is. Eh? Well, it's another unknown and the things we don't know. But I just do remember sort of prior to when we sort of took an interest in that area that, you know, the way you guys would be going out doing trips, you, you, you could pretty much set your watch by it as to the, the sort of couple of weeks that where you know the activity is going to change. It was that precise, wasn't it? No, it was like literally within the first week of October, we, we, we would sort of shut down the White Sox set up and then we'll start taking guys on our trips to see the blue and mako sharks and that sort of thing. And then the, then the shark spotting program would see the sharks increase. And then usually there by end of January, February, early March, the numbers of the shark spotting program would disappear and the numbers would peak, peak, peak up at the island. So yep. we sort of had a two-tier setup where we would, like now if guys are coming on a trip with us, we're trying to get them out for the, for the blues and the mako sharks, which is also pretty pretty awesome on their own. So probably some of the prettiest sharks you'll ever see will be off Cape Point, you go a couple of miles offshore in the blue water. Yeah. Fantastic. And then, yeah, then we would run those trips up until about, yeah, early January, February, sometimes overlap, push them a bit further. And you could set your clock to when the white sharks would come. And then usually last week of April, May, you would start getting your first hunting activity, your proper breaching activities, predations, and then boom, then it'll be flat out for four months. We live and hope for that to return soon, hopefully. Sure. What's the what's it like with the when you're doing like a blue or mako trip? Because uh, people might not be aware exactly what goes on on those trips compared to the classic image of getting in the cage and seeing white sharks. What's a blue and mako trip? consist of what's that like to me they're actually probably more of a spectacular trip in a sense that you run from from simonstown out to cape point and the scenery along that route is oh, is unsurpassed yeah. and you get to you get to go around like cape point see the light from the from the seaside then we push a few miles out to sea you get a lot of your pelagic bird species your albatrosses and as soon as you get off cape point you sort of in the pelagic zone so to speak and then you've got an opportunity of seeing a multitude of marine life, anything from we've seen sperm whales to rissos, dolphins, to killer whales, to pilot whales, to false killer whales. Yeah. Not all in one trip, but yeah. it's sort of a lucky packet. That's sort of like a bit like a desert in a sense, and you've got to find your, your patch of life. And then you can see, yeah, blue sharks, makers, 
And um, yeah, it's 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 a really 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 fantastic trip. It is a bit longer because of the distance you cover. Yeah, but it's a but it's a great trip, and it's something that's that's very very unique. Things you don't even have to be a shark fan, but you can get to see an albatross for argument's sake, which ninety percent of people will never see. But even I mean, we never went out to sea down at Cape Point, but just standing at Cape Point, you know, for an hour and watching the amount of different sort of marine life that came swimming past there's a pod of orcas there's some you know southern right whales it, it, you know it's phenomenal the nature you get but is that still a cage trip or is that a scuba sort of free diving we do it both eh? so we can we can offer the guides but but sometimes a lot of you guys that aren't scuba certified and that utilizing the cage is, is great because if you're doing the free diving out of a cage with them then you have to be a more of a certified diver and had a bit of experience but we've worked it out over the years that that you can get people with no real diving experience as, as with the white sharks and you can use them with the blues and makers and it's, it works out very, very well. It's a, no, it's a great trip. Eh? It's a really, really great trip. You know, if you go and Google Rob's name and Google his company, African Shark Eco Charts, go and check their website out. I've seen uh, some footage and, and pictures that you've done from those trips before. I have to say that Mako sharks in particular look absolutely stunning in the water. You know, they're, they're so fast and they're so agile. It, it is a completely different ball game to white sharks. But like you say, it's still absolutely stunning. Just be positive for the future, hopefully. And then as soon as you get a chance to travel, go and go to your destination somewhere around the world where the guys... The guys are waiting for you to show you hopefully some incredible shark stuff because who knows how long they're going to be there for. So when you've got the opportunity to go, don't delay, go. And like you say, you'll take, you're still taking bookings now? You can take bookings with you know yes. little risk there if you're not taking deposits? Yeah, well, that's what we've decided. It's, it just makes more business sense because there's so much uncertainty floating around there. So we will, we will take the bookings and then obviously depending on how things develop over the next two, three, four, five months, then we can, we can just play it by ear from there. And if it's nearer the time, then we'll – confirm it and if we're all back in who knows what then yeah we'll play that card as well amazes me how so many people particularly from this country are willing to jump on a plane and hop to spain to sit on a beach for a week and do nothing when you could be hopping on a plane if you're going to take that you know if you're going to take that that choice of going on a plane get somewhere exciting go and do something exciting instead of just sitting on a beach for a week get out to south africa maybe because you've got stunning beaches out there no it's a great place to travel and and, and with our exchange right now i think we're very much in favor of a an affordable destination. I think we're sitting at about 20 to the pound now, to the rand. So yeah. something in that ballpark. Yeah. So when you guys get out here, it's, it'll be a proper holiday. That sounds like we've got to do this. We've got to get so. Again, members of the group, please support support your industry. If it's not South Africa and it's somewhere else local to you in the States or anywhere like that, please, you know, there's a lot of amazing guys who work in ecotourism and have such a passion for shark. Please support them any way you can. Keep active on the groups. Keep checking their websites, you know, and, and just keep the keep the interest for for white sharks and sharks alive if you would well rob it's been absolute pleasure as always really appreciate your time coming on i know our listeners love throwing questions at you and i think we've pretty much covered every question that got posed today so thank you so much uh, so much for your time again today yeah pleasure thanks for the invite really appreciate it anytime and again members please support the industry and so if you want to go and check rob out if you check his website which is it's african shark eco charters so the website is ultimate-animals.com uh, some some amazing images and just go and read about these trips and other things you can do that maybe even if it's not white sharks there's plenty more on offer there so with that being said thank you so much you can check us out we're on instagram at white shark underscore interest group you can also find our website at white shark interest group.com and you can also find our youtube channel please keep checked in with us keep safe out there this is probably going to be the last one before the christmas break so merry christmas rob and merry christmas to uh, everyone all the listeners out there and we will see you on the next episode